All right, we are back for our third and final segment today. We want to give congratulations to Al Franken for getting Air America off uh, off and running over at station uh, WLIB in New York. We'll be talking about uh, that in some future shows. So we, we, think, we think that KDVS ought to be a part of that whole effort. Um, I did put a copy of Radio Parallax in the hands of Al Franken when he spoke at UC Berkeley. Uh, he hasn't called me yet, however. But I'm sure it's only because in his haste he hasn't had a chance to listen to it yet. All right, we'll be going to Shecky Rose a little bit later in this segment. Uh, apparently the White House official joke writer is going to come talk to us about uh, some of President Bush's jokes which fell a bit flat at the Gridiron Club. Now on Comcast today, they had a list of April Fool's jokes that uh, and pranks that I think we just have to go down the list on. We've mentioned many of these on this program before. We've done a special segment on the famous Orson Welles 1938 War of the Worlds broadcast. The number one and number two items in the list we've also talked about on this program. One was the 1957 BBC News show Panorama broadcast of the annual Spaghetti Harvest in Switzerland. I remember telling you I saw Jack Parr rebroadcast that show back in the 1960s. It still sticks in my mind. It's apparently available on the web if you go and look. And uh, we mentioned in talking about the passing of George Plimpton, the number two prank, uh, his contribution to the April 1985 Sports Illustrated about uh, the pitcher for the Mets, Sid Fitch, who could reportedly throw a baseball with startling pinpoint accuracy at 168 miles an hour. Let's do some great pranks here. In 1962, there was only one TV channel in, Swiss, in Sweden. It broadcast in black and white. The station's technical expert, Kjell Stenson, appeared in the news to announce that thanks to a newly developed technology, all viewers could now quickly and easily convert their TV sets to display color reception. All they had to do was pull a nylon stocking over their TV screen, and they'd begin to see their favorite shows in color. He then demonstrated it. Apparently hundreds of thousands of people were taken in. In 1996, the Taco Bell Corporation announced that it had bought the Liberty Bell from the federal government and was renaming it the Taco Liberty Bell. Hundreds of outraged citizens called up the National Historic Park, to complain, uh, apparently White House Press Secretary Larry McMurray later came on and said that, well, not only that, but the Lincoln Memorial has also been sold. It would now be known as the Ford Lincoln Mercury Memorial. April 1998 issue of New Mexicans for Science and Reason newsletter contained an article claiming that the Alabama State Legislature had voted to change the value of the mathematical constant pi from 3.1415, etc., to the biblical value of 3.0. That one got on the internet and went all around the world. We talked earlier about the planetary alignment that you need to go out and check out tonight. But in 1976, British astronomer Patrick Moore announced on BBC Radio 2 that at 9.47 a.m., a once-in-a-lifetime astronomical event, i.e. the planet Pluto would pass behind Jupiter, would temporarily cause a gravitational alignment that would counteract and lessen Earth's gravity. Moore told his listeners that if they jumped in the air at the exact moment of the planetary alignment, they would experience a strange floating sensation. When 9.47 a.m. arrived, BBC Two received hundreds of phone calls from listeners claiming to have felt the sensation. In 1974, residents of Sitka, Alaska were alarmed by the long dormant volcano Mount Edgecombe, suddenly belching out billows of black smoke. People spilled out of their homes into the street to gaze up at the volcano, terrified that it may become active again and might soon erupt. 
Turns out, though, a local prankster named Porky Bicker had flown hundreds of old tires into the volcano's crater and had then lit them on fire. The British have so many of these. In 1981, the Daily Mail ran a story about an unfortunate Japanese long-distance runner, Kimo Najakimi, who'd entered the London Marathon, but on account of a translation error, thought he had to run for 26 days, not 26 miles. The London Mail reported that Najakimi was now somewhere out on the roads of England, still running, determined to finish the race. Supposedly, people had spotted him, though they were unable to flag him down. 1994, John Dvorak, in April issue of PC Computing Magazine, described a bill going through Congress that would make it illegal to use the Internet while drunk or to discuss sexual matters over a public network. The article generated so many outraged phone calls to Congress that Senator Edward Kennedy's office had to release an official denial of the rumor that he was the sponsor of the bill. All right, in 1992, the Connecticut Gazette and Connecticut Compass Weekly Newspapers both announced they were purchased by TASS, the official news agency of the Soviet Union. On their front pages, they declared this was the first expansion of the Soviet media giant outside of the Iron Curtain, noting that after TASS had purchased the Compass, its two publishers had both been killed by simultaneous hunting accidents, which they shot each other in the back of the head with standard-issue Soviet army rifles. In 1979, London's Capital Radio, which has nothing to do with our local Capital Public Radio, announced that Operation Parallax, which has nothing to do with Radio Parallax, would soon go into effect. The government was going to resynchronize the British calendar, noting that since 1945 it had become 48 hours ahead of other countries, and the British government then decided to cancel April 5th and 12th of that year. Here's one of my all-time favorites. In 1996, Discover Magazine reported the discovery by physicists of a new fundamental particle of matter. This particle was dubbed the Biggin, could only be coaxed into existence for mere millionths of a second. But amazingly, when it did materialize, it was the size of a bowling ball. The scientists theorized the Biggin might be responsible for a host of other unexplained phenomena like ball lightning, sinking souffles, and spontaneous human combustion. All right, another one by the British. In 1999, the Today program on BBC Radio 4 announced that the British national anthem, God Save the Queen, was to be replaced by a Euro anthem sung in German. The Russians have a lot of good ones. In 1994, Itar Tass announced that an alcoholic beverage company invented a new kind of candy bar, Sure to be a favorite with the Russian people. <laughs> Chewy vodka bars. <laughs> bars designed to compete with Mars and Snickers bars would come in three flavors. Lemon, coconut, and salted cucumber. In 1995, the Irish Times reported that the Disney Corporation was negotiating with the Russian government to purchase the embalmed body of communist leader Lenin. The body had been kept on display in Red Square since the leader's death. Disney proposed moving the body and the mausoleum to the new Euro Disney, where it would be given the full Disney treatment, which would include displaying the body under stroboscopic lights, while excerpts from President Reagan's Evil Empire speech would be played in quadraphonic sound. Lennon t-shirts would also be sold. And lastly, in 1993, Dave Rickards, a DJ at 
KGBFM in San Diego announced that the space shuttle Discovery had been diverted from Edwards Air Force Base and would instead soon be landing in Montgomery Field, a small airport located in the middle of a residential area outside of San Diego. Thousands of commuters immediately headed toward the landing site, causing enormous traffic jams that lasted for almost an hour. Police had to be called to clear up the traffic. Of course, not only could the shuttle have not landed in the tiny Montgomery Field, there wasn't even a shuttle in orbit at the time. God, we love this stuff. But we may return to some of these on, on, on next week's show or the week after. Some of these are just timeless. Uh, we love a good prank. Welcome to Radio Parallax, Shecky Rose. Well, the pleasure is all yours. Is this story true that you were fired? Is it true? Is it true? Divine fired. Well, let go. Given the sack. Shown the door. Booted. Listen, I'm a freelancer. They asked me to help punch up the speeches. How about with the special shows like this one? When it kills, they take the credit. When it tanks, I'm the bad guy. <laughs> it's politics, baby. So you're not really the official White House joke writer. I'm the guy they call when they need the funny. You need the funny? I got the funny. Does that make me official? Who knows? They don't call me in the Situation Room in Orange Alerts to spice up the atmosphere with mother-in-law jokes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You get me? Roger. It's not a cabinet-level position. Uh -huh. Okay? Search the Constitution for language indicating a mandate for snappy wit, and you'll come up short. Yes, I'm telling you this. Uh -huh. There is no jest at the table envisioned by the Founding Fathers. You get it? You dig? You know yeah, where I'm coming from? Are you on the same I, page? I, I got okay. you. I got you. So, so, so where did you come into this whole deal? Oh, well, I uh, had some success working the campaigns, little digs. Remember Reagan debating Carter with the, there you go again. I do remember that. My suggestion. And remember Mondale's Where's the Beef with Gary Hart? That was me too. Huh. So I guess then you went to work from the campaigns in, in the Washington. No, no, I, uh, I went to Europe. They're much looser over there. I wrote some dynamite stuff for Helmut Kohl. Oh, he killed with it. Such as? Well, uh, it was a good little piece. Uh, he said something like, uh, don't eat the schnitzel, the serving schnauzer. You know, it was good. They loved it. They ate it up. Well, uh, okay. Uh, so then you came to Washington, I guess. Well, since 88, I started with Reagan. Bush 41 needed me bad. Oh, I tell you, he was in a bad state of mind. Yeah. So what happened this year? Hey, I tried to tell Wolfowitz and Rumsfeld that the missing weapons might die. They said, write the jokes. I wrote. I did put my foot down, though, over bringing in O.J. O.J. Simpson. Rummy thought it would just be hilarious to have O.J. come in and say he hadn't found the missing weapons or the real killers. So you stopped that. I told Rumsfeld, look, pal, I don't tell you how to run a bloated, chaotic military-industrial war machine. Don't advise me how to use the comedy stick. Huh? Yeah. D did he laugh at that war machine line? Oh, sure. He cracks jokes about it all the time. Really? No. The guy's got ice water in his face. He's about as exciting as watching paint dry. <laughs> yeah. I see more laughs come out of a turnip. Yeah. By the way, you edit some of this out, right? We would never disrespect our leaders in Washington, Shecky. Because uh, look, they pay pretty good. And I do want to call back. Well, I'm, I'm sure they will. Me too. Those guys couldn't write a joke to save their lives, I tell you. Well, good luck improving the humor quotient in the Bush White House. Do you think it would be funny if Gandhi Rice testified with a paper bag over her head? No. Me neither. Richard Pearl thinks it would be it would diffuse the situation. Go for the knee slapper. <laughs> well, I see what you're up against. Remember, 
when you're lying, the whole world lies with you. Well, thank you, Shecky Rose. My pleasure. All right, we went a little bit light on our show today. After all, it is April Fool's. We will be back next Thursday with what I think will be a fascinating interview for you with Robert K. Tannenbaum. Robert Tannenbaum is the former mayor of Beverly Hills and has was once the Homicide Bureau Chief for the New York District Attorney's Office. He's one of the country's most respected and successful trial lawyers. And he'll, be, he'll be here with us next week to talk about what he does lately, which is write books. He is, in fact, a best-selling author. You've probably seen his volumes in, uh, in the local supermarket. And we'll most likely return with adult film legend Christy Canyon to talk about her book, Lights, Camera, Sex. Christy, as you recall from last week's show, is a most engaging interviewee. That's it for today's program. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. Stay tuned for Todd Urich and his hometown atrocities, which will follow as it always does. We'll see you.